Welcome to the podcast of Tech.eu, Europe's premier technology industry information portal and market intelligence platform. This is our episode number 131, recorded on August 19th, 2019. If you are not a subscriber yet, do subscribe today on your favorite podcast app. And if you are listening on iTunes, please take a minute to leave us a review. Today, we are going to talk about Google's continuous antitrust trouble in the European Union, the takeaway wars, we what the fuck, geek economy issues, and much more. We have also prepared an interview with Daisy Ford Downs, the chapter leader of Zebras Unite in Edinburgh. I am your host, Andre Degler, joined today by our research lead, Natalie Novik. Hey, Natalie, how is life? Hi, Andre. It's going well. The weather is great and summer is just so wonderful. How's it going for you over there? Yeah, pretty much the same. Uh, nice uh, weather in uh, Groningen. And I was just laughing about this whole Zebras Unite. Uh, I mean, we will go to the interview later, but can you quickly explain what uh, Zebras are and uh, why you recorded this interview? Yeah, so this is actually a movement that's really taking hold in Scotland, but it was started in the U.S. So I think it was started in Portland, Oregon, where a number of founders had kind of come together and they were looking for an alternative to kind of chasing unicorns. So they came up with the uh, with the zebra model and has a number of different axioms, which Daisy talks about in the interview um, later. Uh, but it's kind of an interesting perspective of how startups and entrepreneurship doesn't always in tech doesn't always have to look the same way. Um, and it's kind of nice how they're developing a community for alternative versions of uh, building tech companies. So I thought it was pretty interesting and it's something that's really kind of very strong here in Scotland. And I was interested in sharing it with the rest of you in Europe because it is coming over here more and more frequently. And this is certainly something that uh, contrasts uh, with the uh, planned IPO of uh, WeWork that we're going to talk about later. So I think we've got a really nice episode ahead. And let us start uh, with the stories and interviews. And uh, I will talk first about what's going on with uh, Google and uh, another antitrust uh, investigation that's about to be launched against it. So 23 uh, job boards across Europe have signed a letter to the European Commissioner for Competition, that's uh, Margaret Vestager to complain about Google's alleged anti-competitive practices regarding its jobs widget. In the letter, which was seen and reported on by Reuters, the company's call on Vestager to prohibit Google to put its job search widget in the search results while the commission is investigating it. So if you, like me, did not quite follow the story, uh, here is a brief summary. Uh, when you search for job listings on Google in certain countries, it would show you a special widget on top of the search results when you can uh, see different uh, jobs, you can add filters. So basically, it becomes kind of a website inside the website, uh, similar to uh, what Google does uh, with uh, travel, for example, or shopping. So it basically works as a, uh, a job opening aggregator, and the other aggregators and job boards are predicted 
predictably not happy with that. So as a side note, by the way, I have never seen this one in the wild because it does not seem to be working in the Netherlands. So I had to research this one. I had to connect uh, through a UK VPN to see uh, how the widget uh, uh, looks like. And it does look pretty good, actually. I really like uh, how it's done. And I think it's a very uh, uh, sleek uh, looking and very convenient tool. Uh, it's also worth mentioning that uh, Google has introduced a set of guidelines uh, by following which job websites could get listed in that widget. And the guidelines are, simply speaking, just a set of rules, really, that prescribe a certain formatting of the job ads uh, to make them machine-readable. Some platforms chose to make changes and uh, comply with these guidelines, and some didn't. So I guess the ones that didn't are now among those uh, 23 companies that are not happy with uh, Google's behavior. But actually, the fact that uh, these uh, job boards were not happy with Google is not necessarily the news, because the preliminary investigation of this particular aspect of Google's business has been going on for quite some time, I think a few months already. But now, these uh, 23 job boards, they want the commission to order Google to remove the widget altogether uh, from the search results while this uh, pre-investigation is taking place. Now, the register in the UK uh, got a comment uh, from the commission stating the following, uh, quote begins, We confirm we have received the letter and we will assess it. Shopping is just one of the specialized search services that Google offers. The decision the commission took in June 2017 gives us a framework to look also at other specialized search services, such as Google Jobs and Local Search. What the commission has found is that those different specialized services have some things in common, but also have important differences. We need to look individually at each of those services. Our preliminary investigation is ongoing. We cannot comment on or predict its timing or outcome. The quote ends. So the shopping case that the spokesperson uh, refers to, uh, in case you don't remember, is another antitrust probe in the European Union, which resulted in a 2.4 billion euro fine for Google back in 2017. And the issue was very similar to the one at hand. Uh, Google puts its uh, shopping comparison results above the rest on the search page, which was at the end deemed uh, anti-competitive and it was uh, called uh, uh, that uh, Google was abusing its uh, dominance on the search market. So if that's any indication at all, uh, the company may get another fine from the commission pretty soon. Most probably, however, this time Vestager won't be the one handing the fine because the competition commissioner will leave the office on October 31st. She did say, however, that she is preparing a quote-unquote intensive handover of the case to her successor to make sure that it won't be dropped after she left. So this is what's going to happen. We, as usual, are going to keep our eyes uh, peeled for that, but I don't think anything at all is going to be happening until uh, New Year's or so. What do you think, Natalie? Yeah, so I noticed Google's jobs aggregator while I was in the U.S., and I will agree with you that it is very slick and very intuitive. Finding a job and searching for a job, especially in an economy that's changing really rapidly, still is very inefficient. So I can definitely understand where these job boards are coming from, but I also can empathize with the consumer in some respects that, you know, it, it still isn't easy to always identify great positions for you or what places are hiring. So I have a feeling I know where the commission is going to come down on this issue, but it is definitely important um, question to raise here. What I find really good, though, is that uh, Google 
is doing this work to sort of standardize the uh, job postings. I think this is uh, something that's uh, uh, a net positive uh, for the market in general. And as far as I understand, among other things, it also requires uh, the uh, job boards and the companies hiring to uh, indicate uh, salary range, for example, which is not always the case uh, for uh, certain jobs and which is probably a good thing in general. So, yeah, whatever happens, uh, I think uh, some... Goods things have already been done by Google by just standardizing uh, this part and uh, making a lot of uh, different job boards uh, comply with this uh, new framework. So, Natalie, what's uh, what's your piece about today? Yeah, so last Monday, it was almost impossible not to hear the news, but some shockwaves were really sent through the European tech space when Deliveroo announced it would be abruptly leaving Germany, which left over 1,000 riders throughout Germany in the lurch. So the company ceased operations in Germany specifically on Friday, which gave riders and customers four days notice that they were closing operations there. Deliveroo's move is another example of consolidation in the food delivery space across Europe more generally. Now, food delivery in Germany is dominated by only one player, the conglomerate of Takeaway.com or Just Eat that merged together earlier this summer. The company operates in the country as Lieferando. And at the end of last year, Delivery Hero sold their food delivery operations in Germany to Takeaway.com for $1.1 billion. This acquisition included brands including Lieferheld, Pizza.de, and Foodora. And as Deliveroo pulls out of Germany, it appears to be battening down the hatches in the UK and Ireland, where it seems to be settling in for continued competition against market rivals Uber Eats and Just Eat. In May, it was announced that Amazon has made a big investment into the food delivery company, the size of which still remains to be disclosed. But it is considerable enough that the British government's Competition and Markets Authority announced an inquiry into the possible merger of Amazon and Deliveroo. Just two weeks ago, Deliveroo acquired the Scottish startup Cultivate and announced plans to develop a tech hub in Edinburgh. And thanks to the Amazon investment, this summer they've also announced expansion plans across the UK, moving most recently into Cornwall and beyond. And they've recruited singer Louis Capaldi to deliver burritos and leads to advertiser promotion known as the, quote, ultimate Deliveroo, end quote. So in Ireland, Deliveroo has called on the government to amend current laws around self-employed workers in the on-demand economy to help entitle them to public health care benefits and insurances. These entitlements are generally covered by employers when their workers are employed full-time. And they've been successful at getting the French government to comply with their requests. And in April, the EU approved new regulations that would ensure gig economy workers are afforded some minimum protection. But all is not well in the British Isles for Deliveroo either. Earlier this summer, an investigation by the BBC found that the company was selling takeaway meals from over 400 companies with only one-star hygiene ratings. And in June, the BBC reported how the app was completing fraudulent orders for customers that they didn't order. The company attributed this activity to cyber hacking and announced that it would be rolling out further measures to combat fraud on their platform. But just as Deliveroo's exit in Germany has created a quasi-monopoly in the food delivery there, in the UK, things are really heating up. Earlier this summer, Uber Eats announced a delivery deal with Sainsbury's, which is a leading grocery store here. And in July, we shared how Just Eat completed their 
9 billion pound merger plan with takeaway.com, which sent their stock price and their ability to compete with others through the roof. So I expect that in this food delivery space in the UK, things will be getting quite heated very soon. And the consolidation of the food delivery sector into a few large players or into some case, especially in Germany, into a monopoly should raise the eyebrows of those at the Commission's Competition Authority. It makes it a tough climate for startups to compete in and for new entrants to join the market. Food delivery was a space that really was one of the first places where we saw startups in Europe really having an incredible impact. And it is the history of those companies and those that have come before and that have since been acquired and their experience is at the heart of the foundation of a number of Europe's most prominent founders and VCs. But today for startups competing in the food delivery space, I think you're in more of a David and Goliath territory. So I think the food fight of the takeaway wars is only just getting started, but it looks to be a battle of the giants. So what do you think, Andre? Will a commissioner come after these monopolies? I think that the new competition commissioner is going to be a really busy person. I mean, seriously, only from the tech space, you have uh, so many cases uh, coming. And I think there are like hundreds of different complaints being filed that we don't even know about. It's uh, it's just ridiculous. But yeah, the food delivery definitely gets interesting and the consolidation is going much faster than I would ever have expected. Yeah, but I think something that might be promising is that it was under these conditions that a number of startups were able to find opportunities. And I think the bigger these companies get, the harder it will be for them to co- to outcompete startups in some respects. I'm not going to put all my money on the conglomerates yet. I mean, there are pretty few actual startups left in the space, though. Like, of the not very old companies, I... I would name Glovo, right? It's it's not that old. And who else? I mean, I think sure. there are some smaller operators um, in more marginal markets, but I think it's only a matter of time before these are acquired as well. It's really kind of keep hearing more and more of these being purchased. And I think it, it's going to be too hard for them to outcompete especially if you have Amazon money behind exactly. Deliveroo. So if if the Amazon deal is cleared by the authorities in the UK, then we probably will end up with Amazon, Uber Eats, and just eat slash takeaway.com. That's the future for us. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, not for you. You don't order uh, delivery uh, anyway, so you don't really uh, care as a customer. No, <laughs> I do do order delivery when it is the company is, is putting it on for themselves. But... Yeah, I just never really needed to order Deliveroo. Okay, I'm just I'm just too lazy so often to to cook. I would rather do a takeaway. <laughs> anyway, speaking of uh, startups uh, and the rest, uh, it is time for our interview. This time it's going to be a pretty short conversation recorded by Natalie uh, with Daisy Ford Downs, the chapter leader of Zebras Unite in Edinburgh. And uh, she will speak about the Zebras movement uh, that has come uh, to Europe from the US. Let's listen together. We'll be back real soon with the recommendations of the day. So I'm here with Daisy Ford Downs, the chapter leader of Zebras Unite in Scotland. Um, thanks so much, Daisy, for being with us today. No problem. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how the Zebras Unite movement got started. 
Sure. Uh, Zebras Unite was started by four founders uh, over in America who were looking for a, a different startup culture, more ethical, more inclusive outside of the very single-minded unicorn building venture capital mindset. Uh, and that is what the the movement has become. It's a global movement with chapters all over the world and an online community of people who are looking for an um, alternative aspiration because the the unicorn thing is just not relevant for so many businesses and venture capital is just not relevant for so many businesses that we need to, to have an alternative symbol. So that's what the zebra is. It's about um, a real uh a real symbol uh, as opposed to the mythical unicorn as ever is real. And so we're talking about sustainable businesses that are based on, on profit, on revenue, not on bloated valuation. And we're talking about, um, a, a, you know, a, a pack animal, a, a herd. So we're, to, it's about collaboration, uh, between businesses rather than just killing off all competition. And it's also about being black and white. And that's about profitable, but also purposeful. Uh, having a, a greater a greater good in mind, and there are so many people who are building those businesses around the world, and they want to uh, come together and uh, talk about that, build a community. So, how did you become familiar with the movement, and what made you want to bring the movement to Scotland? So, I read a post on it was on Twitter. The founders of the movement have written a few articles, have written a manifesto about what Zebras Unite is and what it means, and it it really resonated with me and coming from the background of I'm an accountant I worked at the Scottish Investment Bank or sort of in the back office on these angel and venture capital deals uh, and then I moved into social investment um, where it's just an entirely different thing and I felt that there was such a gap in the middle of people who were just fall, falling away who didn't have any support didn't have a community if you don't fall onto these very very narrow pathways that are set out for you uh, and so I, I joined the online community and I saw there are a few people in Scotland who were already there, but not much was happening. So just galvanized it, got those people together, uh, and, and found that often it was a constriction of time, really, that they were startup founders and, and didn't really have the time to organize something. So I started to organize, uh, meetings where we could get together and discuss things and support each other and, and find things from all over the world, not just, uh, within Scotland, but fascinating uh developments that are happening that we can we can bring here uh and really things to aspire to to keep us going wonderful and can you give us some examples of different zebra companies that really stand out to you i i think there's we have quite a few sort of quite very tech enabled but very human companies uh and there's some great examples particularly when the the founders of the of the movement have uh they work in Say higher education or in uh, in media. So uh, Harkin uh, works uh, in uh, news journalism with a technical approach. So here in Scotland we have uh, Master Focus, and they are uh, a zebra company working to use a tech platform to understand uh, social outcomes for social and public sector organisations. Uh, so it's that very very human. Uh, outcome and aspects and wanting to, to promote and understand that, but using a tech platform. Um, there's also, so We Seeds is another one. They're very early stage, but really exciting uh, idea of to uh, improve mental health and mindfulness and meditation for preschoolers using an app. And so currently in development, 
So really excited about, about that one as well. And that's the type of company that is, I think, really attracted to to being in the Zebras community. Great. And if people want to learn more about the Zebras community and learn more about what Zebras Unite is doing, um, will they be anywhere that they can connect with them at any upcoming events that you know of? So yes, you can find us at uh, zebrasunite.com and join the online community there. Uh, you might also find your local chapter if you'd like to join in, but you can also hear the founders talking about it at uh, Tech Festival Copenhagen uh, and at Meaning Festival in Brighton in the UK this uh, November. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Daisy. Thank you. Hey, 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 welcome back to the podcast of tech.eu. It's uh, still us, Natalie Novik and Andre Degeler, and we are coming to the recommendation part of today's episode. And what I wanted to uh, talk about is uh, what's called WTF. And if you have been online at all over the past few days, you could not have missed the IPO filing of uh, WeWork, or as it's now technically called, We. Uh, the S1 filing of the company has been in the center of attention by the media and the community, and most not in a good way, I have to say. So if there's one story you will have to read about the S1 of or, or of We, I would suggest it to be the take by Scott Galway, whose piece is titled We WTF. Uh, it also comes uh, together with a two-minute video that kind of sums it up. And I guess I will just play the first uh, 20 seconds uh, for you to get the taste of it. Okay, we work, or better yet, we what the fuck, whose mission is to raise our collective consciousness. This company continues to rack up losses in the billions, and its losses are proportionate with its revenues, meaning that it never really is getting any scale. Although they use the word tech over 120 times, that's like saying, because I'm putting ice cubes in my Zacapa and Cokes every night, I'm fucking Bill Gates. So by all means, do go ahead and check it out after we are done with the podcast here. I will leave both links in the show notes. Natalie, you have seen this one as well, right? I have. And uh, Scott Galloway does a really great podcast with Kara Swisher every week called Pivot. But he also has very entertaining blog and his Twitter feed is excellent. Um, I actually met him very briefly at DLD two years ago. He is quite a character, but really um, some very creative takes on tech and something that I think comes from a very uh, informed decision as as a former founder himself many times over. So I think his his take on, on WeWork is really kind of incredible. As this particular one is both entertaining, but also makes a lot of sense. And I think he manages to kind of bring together all the main red flags and explain why it is a problem. So what was uh, what was your recommendation for today, Natalie? So I wanted to return to the gig economy for my recommendation this week. As I was researching my story, it really brought up a number of things that I've been um, looking at um, over the past couple of years. And one of the critiques of the gig economy is that it's really contributed to what some have called an erosion of jobs and full-time work. And with it, the hard-fought rights and entitlements such as paid time off, health insurance, family and sick leave, et cetera, that have been the product of decades of hard work by activists and organized labor. But as the many columns and opinion pieces attest to the quote-unquote future of work, the nature of work is changing, and that's really largely down to technology. But if this is something that's interesting to you, really understanding the changes that have taken place, I would encourage you to check out Gigged, which is a book by Sarah Kessler. And it came out last year and examines the future of work 
and the end of jobs and how jobs are changing. And it was one of the best titles released last year. And um, I really would recommend that to you if you want to learn more about this space. Another piece is called Bargaining with Algorithm. And this was published a few months back on Jacobin Magazine. And it discusses how gay economy and workers in Europe have successfully organized and fought back against some of the large delivery platforms and how the nature of organized labor is changing thanks to technology. And just one example of this has taken place in the last couple of days. Delivery riders in Germany who are now out of work due to the company leaving the country have organized into a workers collective to offer bike courier services on a platform that is worker-owned and operated. I think it's a great idea, and it might be just a thing to counter some of these monopoly platforms. And I want to thank Mark Graham, a professor of internet geography at Oxford, who does a lot of work in this space um, for sharing um, the developments of this initiative on Twitter. Oh, this this last one is really interesting. I haven't uh, I haven't heard of this. This kind of makes sense. It's also funny that uh, it's as us discussing it because uh, none of us are full time employed. I suppose, right? Exactly. <laughs> we don't have any. We don't have any benefits. We are proud freelancers. <laughs> exactly. Um, I heard about this new workers collective coming up, like really kind of sprouting out of um, the frustration these workers are facing after um, Deliveroo left. I was thinking. Why hasn't this happened before? And I know there has been a number of um, freelancer type union movements, but it's something that um, really hasn't had a lot of momentum behind it. But a worker owned and worker controlled profit sharing model um, in food delivery or in bike courier service it seems like something that just might work. And especially in Berlin, if you know um, a bit about labor history, it is one of the um, real hotbeds for that activity over the over the years. So if it could work anywhere, it definitely could work there. So I'm really looking forward to see what happens um, there. And we'll leave the link to the article um, from Tagesspiegel um, where they discussed that. Yeah, I agree. Berlin is definitely one of the best uh, places for this to grow and develop. Now, as for us, uh, it is time for us to wrap it up for today. This is it for today's episode. I do hope you enjoyed listening to us today. And if you did, please do tell a friend or colleague about the show and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by SoundPulse. That's sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions, and opinions at Andri at TechEU and Natalie at TechEU. Natalie, thank you so much for joining today. Thanks so much, Andre, great being here. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the rest of the week and talk to you next Wednesday. Bye-bye. <laughs>